أرأيت الذي ينهى عبدا إذا صلى Now first we'll, let's do quick meaning and then we we'll go back again أرأيت إن كان على الهدى وأمر بالتقوى أرأيت إن كذب وتولى Have you seen that who prevents another from praying? By the way, in Ra'ahu Stagna, just for in Ra'ahu, the Maf'ul in Awal, Ra'ahu, and the Maf'ul is Thani Stagna. That's what the grammarians say. Now, I, oh, there, there is a point in grammar that it does make a difference in the meaning. Let's backtrack to the issue of an ra'ahu istaghna. If it's Abu Jahl, who's doing the who's doing the seeing? It's Abu Jahl. What is being seen? It's the Prophet, right? But you have a problem here. Is that and this point was discussed by Zamakshari very well and by Razi as well. If ra'a means to see. If it means to actually see, ru'yal ibsar, ibsar means to, to, to actually see something through eyesight. Lam tana'a fi fi'aliha ajjam'a bayna dhamirayn. How the heck do you translate that? Lam tana'a fi fi'aliha ajjam'a bayna dhamirayn. If it means to see something, then you cannot. I, I can't figure out a better way to, I mean, you need someone who's specialized in, in explaining Arabic grammar and English to, to explain this. You cannot, according to the rules of grammar, if you mean to see by eyesight, to see something by eyesight, you cannot write it in this abridged form as ra'ahu and remain grammatically correct. You, you simply cannot in good, good grammar because you cannot combine the two pronouns in one word. Like that. You can do it if you mean by ra'a to think, to, to see, not to see a physical object, but to see a point of knowledge. So here, So if to see means to know, you can in fact combine two pronouns and remain grammatically correct. This seems to favor which interpretation? The Abu Jahl interpretation or the other interpretation? The other interpretation. Because if it is the Abu Jahl interpretation, then it's grammatically incorrect. You can't do that. If you didn't grasp this, it's okay. But it's, it's another point to show you and this is actually a good example of where knowledge of Arabic grammar does make a difference. Because in, in, in Arabic grammar, you cannot. If you mean the, the physical eyesight, you cannot combine two pronouns in one word. And that's why when you say, Ra'aytuni la afal, are you saying, I saw myself? No. What do you say? I thought that I will not do. You can do that. Why? You have Damirain here. And you, you have the jam'a bayna damirain. You can do that because you think, I thought, I, I think. So it is not physical eyesight you're talking about, you're talking about intellectual thinking. And so here then you can do it if it means human beings think. They are self-sufficient so they exceed the limits. They think. Then you can do it grammatically. 
but not according to the Abu Jahl. Then, then how can I accept? And I do not understand how these commentators could accept that the Quran would produce something that the Arabs have always said is grammatically incorrect. We, we all agree that the Quran does tricks with Arabic grammar, but never something that is clearly incorrect. But this is clearly incorrect. Okay. Now, let's go back to the, to the completion. You can even look at your translation to, to, to follow with me in the, in the elementary level discourse. Have you seen that who forbids someone from praying? Have you seen if he was guided and, and, and called towards piety? Have you seen how he denies the truth and turns away from it? Doesn't he know that God sees him? According to the Abu Jahl reports, what happened is Abu Jahl saw the Prophet praying, as we said, and wanted to put his face in the dust. Why doesn't he? Because when he tries, the, the, I'll tell you the report. The report is, What does that mean? Is that he ran away. The Abu Jahl started approaching the Prophet to put his face in the dust. And then the, the Abu Jahl turned around and ran away. And then he said, Abu Jahl, what happened? Why did you run away? He said, I saw a ditch. I saw a ditch filled with fire and winds and wings. Winds and wings. And then the Prophet said, In fact, if Abu Jahl would have come close to me, the angels would have tore him limb from limb. Now, as I said, the majority accepts this as authentic. I have a problem. And you are free to accept the majority or accept my opinion. It's as a, my opinion is not my invented opinion. It's a minority opinion. You can call it your opinion because it is a minority opinion which you decided to adopt. When it's a majority opinion, you don't call it your opinion. As a majority opinion, you say, it is the opinion I follow. When it's a minority opinion, then you say, and my opinion. And that's how you distinguish between whether you are holding to a minority opinion or a majority opinion. It's sort of the code by which you communicate to people in integrity what you are doing. So, I have a problem. First revelation, everyone says, at least if it's not the first revelation, it's one of the, the, the very first surahs. And already we're talking about ditches full of fire and winds and, 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 and wings. And then he sees this and he runs. And, and if you would have come close to the prophet, the, the angels would have torn limb for limb. Well, we know according to other reports, authentic reports, what happens to the prophet? He's abused. He's stoned until his, his feet bleed, right? Towards his, the end of his time in Mecca, people throw stones at him until he's injured and blood flows. And in Uhud, what happens to him? Yeah, he's injured and he falls. And in fact, people think he's dead. So, what distinguishes this? Why would the angels grab Abu Jahl and turn him from limb, for limb, limb to limb, but yet the Prophet is able to be capable of being injured elsewhere? That's one. So I have a contradiction of reports. And because I insist on systematic rationality of reports, 
I take the most authentic and the most authentic, the more the ones that have more authentic chains of transmission as well as frequency of transmission is the one that he says he was injured in Uhud and that he was stoned. So then I have a problem with this. Two, note here, people saw Abu Jahl running and then they said, what happened Abu Jahl? He said, oh, I saw a ditch full of fire and angels and winds. Come on, wouldn't Abu Jahl convert? I mean, unless he starts thinking he's psychopathic. If he saw a ditch break up and winds and all of that stuff, and wouldn't others basically say, my God, you know, this is clear. And then there is a transmission, the prophet remarks, oh yes, if he would have come close to me, he would have been torn limb to limb. Was the prophet there? Was this discussion taking place in front of the prophet? So the prophet was contributing into the discussion? Or was he told about what Abu Jahl said later, and this was his comment? The report doesn't say. And if the report doesn't say and seems to skip over logical progression of time, it is of suspicious authenticity according to the Usulis. In other words, the report must have systematic flow. If it seems to be jumping all around, then we say, ah, this is for entertainment. This is for those who are simple-minded and in the, in the old days and could only be entertained by the fantastic and exciting. So you give them, you know, here it's exciting, the response of Abu Jahl, and then what's equally exciting is the response of the Prophet. And you skip over all the logical, physical progression that is required to reach from one point to the other, to entertain people. Anything that we have, this suspicious element of entertainment to the, pop, to, to the populace, we doubt. We say, ah, not, we doubt its authenticity. It's too, it's too fairy tale like it's too exciting for the populace to reek of authenticity. If you want to put it a different way, unless it's boring, we're suspicious. If it excites the imagination, it seems to have been sold as a story. For these reasons, I continue to doubt the Abu Jahl report. But yet the majority accepts the Abu Jahl report. And the majority also accepts that the story of the trench appearing with winds and fire and, 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 and wings. Winds, fire, winds and wings. And probably if you heard the commentary on this in a mosque, you would have heard the, the version of wings and fire and wind. Okay. Why does it make a difference? Does it make a difference in meaning? Are we just engaging in marginality or you know insignificant points? Or pedantic points? No, it makes a huge difference in meaning. Because if it's talking to Abu, about Abu Jahl, then it start, then immediately it's like Tabbat Yada Abi Lahab. Its significance to human beings stops. Now it's talking to Abu Jahl, Abu, to, to Abu Jahl and saying, Have you seen this guy Abu Jahl? When he sees someone praying, he wants to go and stop him from praying. Do you see, wouldn't it have been better for him to be pious and fearful of God and enjoying the good? Do you see how he disobeys and turns away from the truth? Doesn't he know that God sees? If he doesn't desist from this, if he doesn't stop, we will do X, Y, and Z to him. This is if, if it's about Abu Jahl. And in fact, if you are taught in the discourse of the majority in mosques, that's exactly what you're told. 
But if we take the Abu Jahl out, for the reasons I already explained, then the meaning becomes different. And now backtrack with me and see the meaning without the Abu Jahl factor. When human beings, and Ra'ahu here now, then consistent with grammar is not Abu Jahl. When human beings see, think that they're self-sufficient, they exceed the limits. Don't they know that God watches this, sees them? It is sort of like I tell you, God, you're stupid. I mean, you're so stupid. You think you're getting away with something? Do you see that who prevents another from worshipping God? What's the connection between everything that has been said and worshipping God? Several connections. One, those who exceed the limitations of knowledge as human beings increase or think themselves self-sufficient in knowledge, what is one of the first things they do? We don't need God anymore. God is dead. Science is our God. Knowledge is our God. And in fact, this is not a new phenomenon. Read the commentaries on Inna Allah yakhsha min ibadihi al-ulama. True that the majority said that means that the ulama, the, the, the knowledgeable, fear God. But note the, the, the historical social commentary about how some of the ulama, some of those who are truly knowledgeable, think that they don't need God anymore because of their knowledge. Sociologically, that's accurate. That's one. Two, if in the Quran time and time again, and through the sunnah of the Prophet, Seeking of knowledge, tafakkur, tafakkur, and reflecting upon God's creation, and observing God's creation, and learning about God's creation, which, which is learning about life. Everything in life is God's creation. Is correlated with what? When you are taught, or you should have been taught, that when you seek knowledge, you are engaging in what? Worship. Worship. Now, if you seek knowledge without God being in there in the process of, the, of, of seeking knowledge, are you worshipping? If I am learning for the sake of science, but not God is not a factor, am I still worshipping? Absolutely not. It is knowledge. Seeking knowledge is only worship if God is an, is an essential element in your seeking of knowledge. If you read a book, and God is accompanying you intellectually as well as spiritually and psychologically. As you're reading your book, you are worshipping. If God is an, is an insignificant or irrelevant factor, then you're not worshipping. You are entertaining, you are accumulating data, you are doing whatever, but it has nothing to do with worship. And note here the correlation, the obvious connection between that who becomes self-sufficient 
and forgets the, the, the God being there from stage to stage, and that who comes in and says, worshiping God no, is not necessary anymore. An obvious connection, isn't it? أَرَأَيْتَ إِنْ كَانَ عَلَى الْهُدَىٰ أَوْ أَمَرَ بِالتَّقْوَىٰ This has two possibilities, grammatically. And I'll say it in Arabic. إِمَّا فِيهِ إِذْمَارَ أَوْ لَيْسَ فِيهِ إِذْمَارَ إِذْمَار is when you say one thing through the instrument of eloquence to imply another. So say, if you say, so if it has idmar, the meaning would be the following. It would mean, wouldn't it have been better for him if he was guided and if he would have commanded piety? That's the idmar. Because it says ar'ayta, which means, don't you see? But actually, you don't mean, don't you see? You means, wouldn't it have been better? That's the idmar. If it doesn't have idmar, then it doesn't have an implied meaning, then it simply means, don't you see? And if it means, don't you see, then it means, if it means what it says, without idmar, then it means, do you see that he was, don't you see that he was in fact guided and ordering towards piety, commanding towards piety? Okay, let's see those of you who are truly present with me. Which meaning implies the authenticity of the Abu Jahl story and which meaning doesn't? Why is it the second one? Because here it is no longer talking about Abu Jahl. It's talking about the Prophet. What it's saying is, don't you see that he was guided and commanding towards good? Who's it referring to? to it's referring to the Prophet. Okay, you want to prevent the Prophet from praying. Don't you see that the Prophet was, was truly guided and commanding towards good? Here is no Udmar. It says what it means what it says. If it has idmar, then it, it then it means, wouldn't it have been better for him or not for him? For yeah, for him, him means here what? Not Abu Jahl because Abu Jahl drops. Wouldn't it have been better for human beings who turn away in self-sufficiency and arrogance, who exceed the limits, to be guided and to command the good? Idmar is to say something implying another. So, the, the, the Arabic term is not important except for those of you who are aspiring for ijazas and things like that. But if it has idmar, it has a hidden meaning, an implied meaning. Then it means, because ara'ayta means what? What is ara'ayta? What is the literal meaning of ara'ayta? Don't you see? If it has idmar, then it doesn't mean don't you see. It means, wouldn't it have been better? For humans to be, for those humans, those humans who become self-sufficient and arrogant, for those hum humans who deny God to be guided and to command the good, if it doesn't have idmar, meaning it's literal in meaning, then it, me then it says, 
Don't you see that he was guided and that he was commanding the good? It cannot possibly refer to humans who are misguided. And it cannot possibly refer to Abu, to Abu Jahl. So it refers to what? The Prophet. Now, note the fabulous point, at least fabulous to me, that if, in fact, it doesn't refer to Abu Jahl, that it means wouldn't it have been better for these human beings? There's a correlation between commanding piety and knowledge for the correct purposes. It is, in other words, when you seek knowledge and move through its stages while God accompanying it, you become an instrument for commanding piety, taqwa. And here taqwa means what? Ittiqa. Ittiqa means what? To be fearful, to be careful, to be cautious for, towards God. That's what taqwa means. To be cautious. Ittiqa. To be cautious. Why? Because the stages of knowledge allow you to understand something. And what is it that you understand through the stages of knowledge? The supremacy of God. So you preach what? You preach cautiousness in dealing with God. You, what is the caution? What, what, is you, what, is it that, what is the caution that you are preaching? Don't become arrogant. Don't think yourself self-sufficient. Because you understood your true place in the stages of knowledge. You understand your limitations. And so you preach caution from becoming arrogant, from becoming self-sufficient. Don't fear the illusion of the supremacy of the human being. That the human being is the ultimate supreme. Sort of like Nietzsche's concept of Superman. Nietzsche's concept of Superman. You preach the Superman, if you will, if we're going to use modern discourses. Of course, none of my sheikhs ever used Nietzsche in a lecture, despite of the fact that Muhammad Abdu did, by the way. Uh, but anyway, that's something else. But, but it is sort of the concept of Nietzsche's concept of Superman, the superhuman being. Don't be cautious. Don't be fearful. Mother Nature, in other words, become it, our, our inferior, not really our superior in any sense. But if God is an element through the stages of knowledge, say, don't forget that, th that all of this has a purpose. All of this has a point, And all of this is limited. And consequently, arrogance, human arrogance is precluded. Kazaba, what does kazaba mean? What does kazaba mean? Kazaba. Kazaba. To lie. And kazaba. To disbelief. To, 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 those who don't believe in God. Basically, who gives the lie. Often Yusuf Ali and so on translate it as give the lie. Give the lie means to, to, to say that it's all a lie. To turn away. To disbelieve and turns away. Turns away from God. Again, if it's talking about Abu Jahl, then Abu Jahl simply disbelieved and turned away. If it's talking about human beings who become arrogant and think themselves self-sufficient and exceed the bounds, and forget that God knows what they're doing. That they turn away from God. Don't they know that God sees all of this? Kalla la in lam yantahi la nasfa'an bin nasiya. 
in one reading it's kalla la in lam yantahi la nasfa'anna mushaddada bin nasiya and in the qira'ah of ibn mas'ud la nasfa'a bil nasiya alfa' mamduda bil alif the majority reading is fa nasfa'an bil nasiya and not la nasfa'anna but Surely if he or if they do not desist Again, if it's referring to Abu Jal Surely if Abu Jal does not desist If it's referring to the human being who is arrogant and, and self-sufficient etc etc Surely if they do not If that human being does not desist Lanasfa'an Lanasfa'an means Grab or strike to grab something. A nausea literally is this line of hair. What do you call this uh, receding hairline? Yeah, the forelock. Literally, it's like you grab someone from the from the the forelock and grab and, and drag them. Literally. Consequently, but you don't use it in a literal sense. Always the forelock, this front area, is used in, in a certain usage. So if you say, for example, nasiya mubaraka, you don't mean a, a blessed forelock. What you mean is a blessed human being. Mubaraka means blessed. So if you say, oh, zu nasiya mubaraka, that means a person who is blessed. So when you say grab from the, the forelock, what you mean is degradation and humiliation. And in fact, in Arabic usage, it is the extreme in degrading and, human, and humiliating a human being to say, If you say, I will here means to take. I will grab him or I will take him by, by, the, by the forelock. It's humiliating. But what is much more humiliating is to say, This is, if I want to really insult someone, I will say, I will, I will grab you from the forelock. That's truly degrading. Because it also carries the connotation of to blacken someone's face. Blacken someone's face here means to embarrass someone very in a very deep way. So if it's Abu Jahl that we're talking about, it basically means if Abu Jahl does not desist from this, we will grab Abu Jahl from we will grab Abu Jahl from his forelock, we will humiliate and degrade Abu Jahl. If it means about these self-sufficient human beings and not Abu Jahl, they will be grabbed, they will they they will taste the element of degradation and humiliation that will count as that will that will act as the counter to their arrogance which they displayed through their knowledge on this life a very fitting end to these human beings now i found a reference which i thought was extremely fascinating in uh, ibn al-qatir who says that 
if human beings seek knowledge for the sake of knowledge and for the sake of knowledge and forget God, the end of their civilization is always degradation and humiliation. Now, in the modern age, of course, that fascinates me. It's sort of you know it it, it rings with the with the notions of, apoc- of uh, apocalypse and and the what ultimately could end could what ultimately could be the fate of human beings if they continue being arrogant and self-sufficient about the, the, the objects of knowledge. But nonetheless, I mean, I'm just telling you that, that you, can, you can see modern connotations to this. And, and as you know, Ibn Muqatil is medieval. I mean, he's not a modernist. But in his view that, that the seeking of knowledge for the sake of knowledge ultimately ends acting as an ultimate degradation to human beings. Human beings. So, that human beings will become self-sufficient and arrogant in thinking about knowledge. I mean, in the way a human being approaches knowledge, ultimately is, is, is degraded and humiliated. Now, we can get into theological debate whether it necessarily has to happen on this earth or it's in the final day. Now, in the more modern Wahhabi interpretations, you find that they have argued that Nasiya actually means the bridge of the nose. And that we will strike him across the bridge of the nose. And they have tried to argue as well that in fact Abu Jahl dies that way with someone striking him with a sword on the bridge of the nose. And this is proof of the miraculous nature of the Quran because it predicted that Abu Jahl will die through a strike on the bridge of the nose rather than uh, any other way. Now, one, while interpreting in Nasi as the bridge of the nose, seems, it seems like a stretch. Because if you consult any of the traditional Quranic com- commentaries, they say that the Nasiya is, is this area here. And, and uh, two is that the reports about Abu Jahl dying with a strike on the bridge of the nose themselves are questionable. Although the reports that he dies through sword strikes, I mean struck by sword, but that it is necessarily across the bridge of the nose. Nonetheless, I mean, it's something you should know. And I suspect, also I'm not sure, that in a, in a for example, a Wahhabi mosque or a which is na- nearly 99% of all mosques in the United States now, that in fact, that is the interpretation that you would be given. That it means the bridge of the nose and that he will die by a strike on the bridge of the nose. And that that is proof of the miraculous nature of the Quran. But if you consult the traditional commentaries, you will not find any of them saying that it is the bridge of the nose, but tell you that he will be grabbed and degra- degraded and humiliated or alternatively, that that human being who is arrogant, ultimately, that is the fitting response. Nasiya kaziba khati'ah. What is the nature? Remember that nasiya, although it literally it means a forelock, it has an implied meaning in eloquence, and that is the character of a human being, the honor of a human being. So, either it is describing Abu Jahl, 
as one of false honor and, and integrity. That either that it means Abu Jahl's sense of honor is deceitful, wrongful. Kazibah even here means more than deceitful, but fraudulent, worthless, mistaken to the core. Or it means that that human being that, that thinks himself sufficient, self-sufficient and, and arrogantly exceeds the bounds, has such a false and wrong and wrongful sense of honor and sense of character to the core. Again, it's the same meaning except whether you, the only difference whether you apply it to Abu Jahl exclusively or whether you apply it to human beings of a certain character and so on. فَلْيَدْعُ نَادِيَةً سَنَدْعُ الزَّبَانِيَةً نَادِيَةً فَلْيَدْعُ means let, let, let him or let, the, or let him if it refers to human beings or Abu Jahl call Nadia is your support group. That's why in Arabic a club is called Nadi. The club that you belong to is called Nadi. It is your Ashira, your tribe, or your uh, alliance, or your supporters. Let, let them call their supporters. And we will call our punishers. As the Baniya are in theology, are the angels who will carry the task of giving human beings what they deserve on the final day. Frightful beings who will be responsible for inflicting the torture in the final day upon those who deserve it. They stand guard over hell and they inflict the punishment of God and discharge the sentence. The report behind this Again, in the case of Abu Jahl, is that Abu Jahl passes when the Prophet is praying and starts yelling insults. Now, here's another question. Is this all the same incident or separate incident? Is it all one incident in which he says, I will put his face in the mud and then he, and then he starts yelling at the Prophet and, and then he ends running away? We're not told in any way. The, the reports have the... Anyway, I mean... Let me first tell you, according to the Abu Jahl interpretation, that he starts yelling at the Prophet insults, and the Prophet, according to this, starts threatening him. And Abu Jahl responds, You threaten me, you threaten me, and I am the one with the most tribal support in this area? How dare you threaten me? I have, it's like you say, I have friends in high places. You know, a contemporary way of saying things. You threaten me and I have friends in high places? Who do you think you are? And the, according to the average report, that the Quran responds to this and says, okay, you call your friends, you call your supporters, and we will call those who will give you what you deserve. If it doesn't refer to Abu Jahl and refers to that human being who becomes arrogant and self-sufficient, 
Then it's saying, okay, you reach that point of assumed self-sufficiency and arrogance through a support mechanism, through a group, Ashira is, is the way the, the, the traditional commentators would, would say it, through what the Quran constantly refers to as, as, as your friends and allies who promoted your state of delusion, through those who sat there impressed by your arrogant claims of no need for gods, that you are beyond God's limitations. You call these people, and it's consistent with the other Quranic discourse in which in the final day it comes and tells you, okay, well, you disbelieved in God. Why don't you go bring your friends and allies that you relied on in the, in the, on earth and see what good they do you now? It's consistent with that. Okay, why do you call these people now? And we will call those that will give you your just deserve. And what is your just deserve? That you will be insulted and degraded. And what's more of an infliction of punishment upon someone who thinks that they are the ultimate in knowledge than degradation and humiliation? To know that, in fact, you're nothing. And then ends in this very eloquent and decisive fashion no don't obey him very decisive don't obey him prostrate come close to us if it's Abu Jahl it's simple no don't obey Abu Jahl and prostrate in prayer and come close to us but who is it talking to if it's Abu Jahl? Muhammad? I mean, it's all between Abu Jahl and Muhammad according to the report. Talking to Muhammad, to the Prophet? Does the Prophet need to be told, don't obey Abu Jahl? I mean, after all, Abu Jahl wanted to put the Prophet's face in the mud and then there was a trench with fire and winds and wings. And he ran away. Does he need to be told after this, don't obey him and come close to us? If you take the Abu Jahl out, then it decisively tells you, okay, don't obey that person. I've told you the whole story. I told you how it's going to go. Prostrate, which correlates to what? And we said that who forbids someone from worship, who, who attempts to prevent those who worship. Why? The correlation between worship, worshipping and ikra. Between worshipping and seeking knowledge. No, don't obey that person. Worship. Prostrate, worship. Waqtarib, come close. Which calls into your mind what? Allam al-insan ma lam ya'lam. The close relationship between God and seeking knowledge. In its true form. In other words, it's like it's, in other words, it's like telling you this. It's as if this, the, the whole verse, the whole surah, rather, is telling you a story. It comes and tells you in this sort of fashion. Read, read. How do you read? You don't read in the name of Einstein or Nietzsche or Kant or in the name of knowledge or in the name of beauty. Read in the name of God with the blessings of God. And know that 
God is the one that gives you the very instrument of knowledge. And that you will move in stages through knowledge. In the same way that you move through physical stages, you will through, move through intellectual stages. And let me warn you right now, that human beings have a tendency. And that is when they move through the stages, they forget that Allah who al-Akram, that Allah is the superior, that Allah is the limit, beyond which there is no limit. And when they forget this, they think themselves self-sufficient. And when they think themselves self-sufficient, they become arrogant. And when they become arrogant, they exceed their limits. And when they exceed their limits, they become by their nature an obstruction to the act of worship through the act of seeking knowledge. In other words, they transform the, the pursuit of knowledge from an act of worship to an act for its own sake, an act of arrogance. Wouldn't it have been better for them to be truly guided, to have preached the fear of God, to remember the purposes of knowledge, to remember the stages of their creation, to remember the logic that rules their existence. Wouldn't it have been better if they would have remembered that Allah is ever-present observing them? Well, the, the response to their arrogance the response to this conceit is that they will face ultimate degradation and humiliation either on the final day or on this earth. That's subject to debate. Maybe both. Maybe one. Who knows? Well, in the end, consistent with Quranic style, it will be their supporters against their powers, their clan, against the clan of God, against the supporters of God. Let me give you a word of advice. Let me give you a word of advice. Do not obey these people. Do not follow them. And worship and come close to God, which takes you in full circle to read. Why? Come close to God and read and remember that you will move in the stages of knowledge and that God will accompany you. But remember that you have a tendency as human beings to become self-sufficient and arrogant. And it goes, do you see what I'm saying? It, it, the end takes you to the beginning. Goes in a circle again and again. It's sort of, you can keep repeating it to yourself if you are following the logical progression. By the time you reach the end, and then you say, ah, let's begin again.